Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of In the Beginning Was the Word. It's uh, me, Nils, Leo, Tungoden, and Plato today. We are hiking up a mountain to get to a cabin of which I'll stay overnight. It's uh, a lot of snow and a lot of ice, and I'm very happy that I got these. Uh, I don't know what they're called in English, but these like little metal fangs that you can uh, attach to your shoes. My fiance, she uh, <laughs> made me buy them. I was gonna go without them, but uh, it's really good that I didn't do that. And now Plato, he has uh, uncovered a piece of wood in the snow, so he's digging fur furiously. You can hear all the birds around me. There's not any people here. I'm pretty far away today. So uh, my talk today will uh, concern, uh, well, it'll be about uh, the Ouroboros, uh, Nietzsche, schizophrenia, viewed from the perspective of scripture, faith, psychology, archetypes, and uh, I'll involve a bit of Eric Neumann in all of this. So... I'll start today's episode by uh, reading from scripture and uh, I have chosen some of the teachings of Jesus. Again he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. 
and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones who are one sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil and the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more, more will be given. And from the ones who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a, ma is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the air, then the full grain in the air. But when the grain is ripe, at once he, put in, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds in the air can make nests in its shade. So, with that out of the way, not to be misunderstood as simply casting it out as unimportant, I find myself by a river now, and, uh, well, a creek, you could call it. Plato, he loves to <laughs> go into water, and now some ice broke off and he fell into it. But uh, these uh, beautiful sounds right here of the river, I hope you can hear them. Not sure if you could hear the birds earlier, but they're everywhere out here. It's the beginning of spring now, so, uh, well, despite of that, we have all the snow. But uh, anyway, I'll uh, start off by uh, going into the Ouroboros. And uh, that is one of the most ancient symbols that mankind has ever used. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go, like the aboriginals in Australia and then South America and the Nordic, uh, well, the Vikings, they had the whole snake going around the world. 
So that is uh, the primal snake. And uh, from antiquity, it is the most ancient deity of the prehistoric world. And uh, the Uroboros can be traced back in the revelation of Saint John, among the Gnostics, Roman Syncretics, Navajo Indians, in Guiado, Africa, Egypt, Me Mexico, India, and uh, gypsies uh, too have used it uh, as an am amulet. And uh, so-called alchemist has used this uh, used it as a symbol within alchemical texts. And then this symbol is the very well. It's pretty much uh, the residue within the collective unconscious, as its use expands across the world, even in cultures that had no direct relations. And this brings me on to uh, Eric Neumann. He is uh, not held in regard amongst, well, within the circle of modern objective science. Uh, some of uh, his notions and claims that build on Jung's discovery and that are later followed up by Joseph Campbell. Also, there's an uh, anthropologist, his name is Sebastian Junger, and uh, I really recommend people tuning in to him to understand some of these things. Uh, but Eric Neumann, he is uh, probably most known for his groundbreaking book, uh, The Origins, and history of consciousness, which seeks to explain the story of creation and how we came to be and how our consciousness came about. So a bit of a quick note in regards to this. Jung's theory of the collective unconscious and Eric Neumann's further uh, discoveries, and then Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. It is uh, really interesting that the symbol of the Ouroboros, and also the so-called Mandela symbol, uh, this beautiful mathematical equation, you could call it, uh, that's how the old Christian crosses were shaped. It's also what the swastika is sort of loosely based upon. But it's uh, very interesting that these symbols and shapes and primordial ideas are, well, in humanity, no matter where you go. Now, of course, you have the ancient Christian story of uh, the snake visiting Eve and tricking her into, well, convincing her to trick Adam to eat the apple, which symbolizes us either stepping into consciousness or the fall, depending on 
how you view it. And uh, I'm not trying now to say that the sign of the Uruboros and the eternal snake eating its own tail is that same snake. But I think it lends a lot of credit to the Christian creation story, seeing as this motif or symbol is universal across all cultures. So, <clears throat> the new, well, the Eric Neumannian, or perhaps Camp Bellian way, the Jungian way, to put it more simply, of understanding the symbol and its significance, uh, is as follows. The initial stage when ego consciousness is still on the infantile level is marked by the predominance of the maternal side of the Uroboros. Now, the Uroboros itself has both the masculine and the feminine within it present. Uh, through this, it gives nourishment and pleasure, protection, warmth, comfort and forgiveness. The place of being contained in the whole, being the refuge of humanity, as it always will be, without responsibility or efforts, no doubts or divisions. This is therefore the great mother archetype. For this stage of, well, ego consciousness, uh, well, one can never again see it realized in adult life and thus changes archetypically, which would be dependent on neurosis. It becomes easier to understand uroboic, well, this is what they call incest. So basically uh, distilled down the uroboic incest, what that really means is our wish to return to the stage before we stepped into consciousness. Now, most people believe in evolution theory. I do as well. And most people believe that it can be explained all the way back to bacteria in uh, volcanic, uh, well, ponds and then fish and then so further on. I'm unsure about that theory. It may be correct that that's all there is to it. So I'm not going to conclude or say anything further about whether that is right or not. But at which, at which point did we become ego-conscious? Our sort of rational human thinking of the world, in which you understand that you are an individual and you're conscious of yourself and that there are other individuals, as opposed to the 
Uroboric state of just being in the collective unconscious where all is one and everything is the same quick note here before I continue I just listened to this recording and I will well walk in stages and uh, sit my monkey butt or perhaps higher consciousness butt down on a rock somewhere because that was not pleasant to listen to but I can't bring myself to do it again so you'll have to just uh, bear through oh you've already made it through so soon it will be more pleasant the main reason for it being so noisy and perhaps annoying to listen to is because of my well the one word in the English language that I can't conjure uh, today these uh, metal things on my feet anyway back to the Uroboros um, perhaps a simple way to understand what I mentioned that nasty word the Uroboric incest is uh, if we understand the symbol as a matriarchal figure in early pre-con pre-conscious life but at the end of consciousness or at the point of death one becomes again unified with the mother archetype uh, as an example <clears throat> this is represented in the symbolic importance of tombs sacrophagus and coffin which are all ritual processes which combine one with the mother once again and uh, in uh, the stone age one would be buried in the posture of an embryo uh, and then you have well urns and stuff like that which are to be released on the earth to again be reunited with the mother and here i'll quote newman directly and he writes the Uroboros is an appropriate is appropriate as a symbol of origination in creative phenomena too and not only in religious phenomena the life-spanning figure of the round signifies the regenerative sea and the source of higher life it is however whose clinging embrace prevents the neurotic from being born into life then it is no longer the primordial figure of the Uroboros, but in the case of a more developed ego, the indication that a further stage has been reached, namely the dominance of the Uroboros over the ego, or the stage of the Great Mother. And in one sense, this can be, uh, well, understood as the drive or the wish for death now <clears throat> the basic notion of uh, well the Uroboric state as i have laid forth in my talk now but there are other aspects to this but i find it interesting that eric uh, neumann's thoughts regarding this 
what it means and what it compels us to do and the archetype of the great mother uh, how it coincides with humans stepping into consciousness that's the development of a young man when you leave the safe bosom of your mother and you step into the savannah and then a, a lion jacks you up and eats you or perhaps you survive and you run back to your mother's safety and comfort but uh, it's interesting that those thoughts quite accurately mimic some of the christian modern theo well theology understanding of uh, i've mentioned that in a podcast before a great theologian of which name slips me at this moment on the mountain who mentioned that let us not stay the same and let us not necessarily progress either but let us return to what we once were and what's interesting with the Neumannian understanding which further goes into the Jungian understanding of archetypes are the three main ones the great mother the great father and the son and the son is symbolized as the ego as the i as me uh, the great mother is uh, mother nature gaia the whole of which one would want to return and uh, the father he uh, well he's just a big phallic <laughs> symbol a reproductive organ he doesn't really do anything he just spreads his seed around on uh, the planet so from that a way of understanding christ and the hero archetype is to drive away from surrender from just relaxing into the whole and going back to the great mother and uh, just accepting the world for what it is uh, quick commentary on that I of course think we should tend to nature and take care of it and respect it uh, but it's quite interesting to see how that ancient motif gets revitalized through certain subcultures with the ayahuasca ceremonies and great mother nature and that we need to respect it and live in harmony with it and surely we must but there's also this weirdness to it i think it's almost like the great mother turns into a big spider to eat her children where you just sit around and relax and everything is taken care of for you in a modern perspective and uh, the ancient pagan myths which have ties to hinduism 
and uh, the revival of European uh, paganism, we see a sort of progress away from that viewpoint and into the ego. And this is where the hero archetype really begins. So Zeus and Jupiter versus Typhon, that's Greek and Roman mythology. Indra versus Vritra, that's Vedic mythology. Perun versus Veles, that's Slavic mythology. And uh, Thor versus Jurgmandur, that's Germanic mythology. So, in this, well, serves to illuminate why the hero archetypical figure of Christ is so valuable to us as opposed to these more ancient hero myth motifs and uh, one of the criticisms of christianity is uh, its patriarchal structure and that there is no divine feminine to be found in the holy trinity but even if christianity had not uh, succeeded in becoming dominant over the pagan ways of understanding we would still have had the patriarchal structure as communicated in these myths so that critique on its own uh, falls well it falls pretty swiftly <laughs> So, more specifically, what Neumann, Eric Neumann, is uh, articulating is that we as humans, we want to return to, well, the whole and the state of the unconscious that Jung first articulated, of which, uh, well, I'll get into how he, in some ways, updated Christianity, but there are several viewpoints regarding him. I am not very fond of Christian dogmatism, like uh, I'll read about Jung and some of the stuff that he was saying, uh, and then it is then described as him being in contact with demons and his wild theories. Uh, that doesn't mean that I 100% believe and adhere completely to his theory of archetypes but my suspicion is that there's definitely something going on there uh, this is also what i believe to be uh, well uh, people who are schizophrenic i believe that they have for I think there are several reasons for them being like that. Uh, despite what they say and some of the uh, leaps we've made trying to understand consciousness, we don't really understand schizophrenia. And I think it can arise from several cases. But my basic presumption, what I suspect, is that for whatever reason it allows an affected individual to tap into 
the collective unconscious to a higher degree than other people. And in order for it to, well, justify using the term schizophrenia as a medical condition of which we should be concerned about and treat, it has to be to such an extent that the person is not capable of functioning in society. So, the ego exists, but the Ouroboros also exists. Now, what I think a good Christian interpretation of that maybe is uh, the return to the state of the Garden of Eden, of which when we die, that's where we will return. And then you have the Christian viewpoint, and then you have several other viewpoints. Uh, they all carry validity in them. It's not like one is superior to the other. But what I do think is really cool about Christianity is that it provides a framework for understanding good and understanding evil and morals in the face of adversity. And then you have, uh, well, the Gnostic viewpoint. They also like the symbol of the Ouroboros, uh, where I think they are pretty mistaken, where they, they conjure up this theory that, uh, well, conjure up, they believe that this god that we are worshipping now is actually evil and there's a real god behind that again. That may be correct as well from an archetypical and psychological standpoint. What I see that as is more a rejection of society as opposed to a seeking of the real truth and uh, the ego liberation that is talked about widely in circles of young men now which I commend their efforts to seek to be able to do that but what does that mean to like well tame or kill your ego I mean a really inflated ego is surely not a good thing, uh, but we also need an ego. And the more I, see, I hear people saying that they don't have an ego and stuff like that, uh, the more I, s I notice that they engage in very egotistical behavior from a psychological viewpoint of what I have observed myself. Now I have uh, arrived at the cabin through uh, deeper snow than I would have expected. And it's quite warm and there's a lot of snow melting going on. And Plato, he, well, he should perhaps be diagnosed with the fake ADHD 
and some of the other <laughs> fake illnesses that they have. Uh, well, I guess they're real sometimes in uh, uh, taken to its uh, furthest extent. Uh, I suppose there are children around there who have those diagnoses. Beautiful nature <clears throat> with all its sounds and Plato's eating in the background. <laughs> But in a minute now, I will be making reindeer meatballs with some mashed potatoes and I'll let Play-Doh eat it as well. Uh, one issue here is that I might lose my reception, which will force me to go out later. Now the sun is coming down into the darkness, into the wild. And uh, that is actually kind of creepy up on a mountain when you're so far away. There is a reason why we are afraid of the darkness and why we huddled down around fires is because of the fear from, well, fear of predators. But there's not a whole lot of them here in Norway. We have some wolves and some bears, but that's about it. Uh, but back to uh, the subject matter now. Uh, the Uroboros, the grandmother, the well matriarch, that can be uh, likened or uh, well uh, explained as a, a version of the welfare state of which I think we should have some sort of welfare state in place for people who are just really unlucky so that we don't leave them to die. And then I fell now. There's <laughs> so much snow here going deep into it. There I fell and uh, the welfare state for me, that was the deep snow catching me. But uh, it says in the Bible that you're supposed to be self-reliant and be the Lord of your own land. There are several things, well, motifs and things you are called upon to do and to reflect upon in the Bible that are very helpful to understand as modern people. And uh, Jesus as an archetype, he serves us very well. Because, uh, of course, you have all the other heroes. Uh, the epic of uh, Gilgamesh and then Hercules and Achilles and Odin and uh, mythological figures of the pagan Indo-European tradition, which uh, have roots in Hinduism, which is quite interesting on its own. 
uh, Europeans. They were mostly outcompeted or removed by a group of people called the Aryans that came out of India. And I, from what I figured out, the only two European countries that don't have, well, they can find the genomes and stuff of populations. Uh, but the only two countries in Europe that does not really have uh, a purely like European baseline is Hungary and Finland. Except those two countries, they were all outcompeted or driven out. And so that is uh, our religious heritage. And then the Christian faith came in from the Middle East. So that was uh, sort of a, an invasion into uh, the European fauna. And then it outcompeted all the pagan traditions. And for quite some time, if we are now to uh, uh, take seriously some of the uh, things that Christianity uh, gets attacked on the most when it comes to it being an evil and repressive religion. Well, to some extent, yes. So uh, the basic foundation is that it came in and outcompeted the existing traditions. And then it took some of the existing traditions and branded it with its own name. So, uh, for instance, Yule, as we call it here in Norway, which uh, many Christians celebrate as the birth of Christ. You can quite easily find out where that comes from in the beginning. It's an ancient Babylonian myth of uh, what's so interesting is that at least in the Nordic countries, our celebration where we say that we celebrate the birth of Christ. He may have been born then or he may not, I don't know. But there's a lot of stuff that uh, is basically pointing to the fact that he was not born at that time. But I won't conclude with anything. But uh, that tradition in itself mimics exactly the old pagan tradition celebrated and observed in Babylonia where you take a tree from the outside and bring it into your home and give people gifts and you eat and you drink and you're merry so Merry Christmas which in turn brings me to well no I'll leave Nietzsche alone for a minute, and uh, but I will continue onwards to him and what I believe are well is the evidence of his schizophrenia within the ramification of the collective unconscious. Uh, but just quickly now, so in Europe, uh, the Christian faith outcompetes 
older systems but it goes into the same systems of governance and borrows some here and there in order to fit in with the culture and then you have kings and they have uh, their subjects slaves peasants uh, but with that christian foundational well viewpoint of understanding the world so uh, the real kings are the priests the priesthood they really understand what's going on and so power comes in and corrupts uh, well a lot of it in many places but then in some places in some ways it is a great leap forward and uh, seeing these things as either one or the other black or white that is uh, just a failure and you should expect more if you're a grown person to be able to see religions whatever religion it is for what it actually is but in modern society uh, if you're Christian you will get very heavily attacked from the Nietzschean uh, point of view you could uh, call it but before I go on to him uh, just quickly so uh, the priests they are the kings and they decide that uh, the rabble they don't really need to read just let us do all the stuff we have to do and in some ways it's uh, pretty great like uh, you're a slave I suppose but people were eating pretty decently and they had pretty okay lives in many cases if we disregard the inquisition and the witch burnings going on <laughs> which was real too and uh, of course that is the modernized uh, Sam Sam Harris Monty Python Netflix view of Christianity of course and so the way that it looks right now is that uh, I will lose all my electricity eventually and then have no uh, source of power available all up here in the mountain so that's quite fitting getting back to nature to the primitive um just gonna put this little message in there when it comes to understanding all of these things i really do feel like uh the perspective that I'm trying to communicate has value and is worthwhile in the greater discourse of all of this. But with that, uh, you'll hear from me down in my apartment in the city again, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, back in the city now. My uh, first thought was to do this uh, outside to get the lovely 
nature sounds into this uh, podcast as it was up there. But it became very foggy and it started to rain a lot. So I'm inside of my apartment. Now, these uh, theories and ideas will come full circle. And I'll try to keep them concise and precise. So, as I mentioned earlier, the evidence for Nietzsche's schizophrenia, of which I would like to get into, and this is not supposed to be understood as me trying to uh, degrade him or take away from his uh, ideas in any sort of way, like they did with Jordan Peterson and uh, his thoughts and reaction from society will also be incorporated and then Jung's view of Christ as a hero figure. But I'll start out with Nietzsche, the so-called wandering philosopher, who, uh, well, he lived in uh, the Italian Riviera and also the Swiss Alps before he retired in 1879 because of his illness. As his psychosis developed, he started to write his friends frequently, signing his letters as Dionysus versus the Crucified, Dionysus the Crucified, or as Caesar. In January 1889, he lost his sense of reality permanently, danced naked in his room. The often mentioned incident happened on January 3rd, 1889, when he, walking through the Piazza Carlo Alberto, witnessed a carter ruthlessly whipping his horse. Nietzsche ran up to the animal and hugged the horse's neck, crying. He collapsed on the street, was referred to the Basel Mental Hospital on January 10, 1889, then to the institution in Jena on January 18th. His condition was characterized by delusions, disorientation, apathy, impulsivity, and cognitive decline. Uh, From March 1890, he was nursed by his mother and later by his sister until his death on the 25th of August 1890. He lived in the darkness of severe dementia. Although, regarding his illness, six medical hypotheses were raised in the 818 years after his death, his condition is referred to as breakdown or eclipse in the history of philosophy literature. This differentiates his condition from madness in the medical sense, therefore enables us to overstep, well, uh, a raw medical point of view. We can't really prove what was so-called wrong with him. 
when it comes to Christianity, he did put a f- well. He be- he did put forth the claim that uh, if nothing else, Christianity had served well to give the common man a purpose to make him feel uh, like he had a place in society and in the universe. From a strictly Christian perspective, some of his claims seem quite silly. Uh, Because, well, from that perspective, Christian religion does not consist in the condemnation of sins, but rather in the forgiveness of sins. And the Christian who knows that God loves him, although he is not worthy of this love, as we say, is a redeemed person. This is grace and salvation. And the point of view that Jung undertook from a lens that cannot be described as strictly Christian. He also delved in many other theories, but the vision of Christ as a hero figure and as a part of the me, of the I, of the conscience coming from consciousness itself, where Christ is seen as, well, it says in the closing chapter of Matthew that I will always be with you until the end of time. So despite Jung being very intrigued by Nietzsche and getting into his writings and the so-called madness, which is very similar to being a genius, a very popular saying, that does not necessarily mean that he agreed with Nietzsche on some of his claims. And one of them is that we need to get out of the darkness of uh, religion, and he puts special emphasis on Christian faith, and that we will become a people and a, a race, as he said, beyond good and evil. From uh, my perspective, this signals part of the reason why I think he went mad. And Jung was also so interested in him because he was so close to the collective unconscious, picking up on the general spirit and vibe of the German people and of archetypical figures but as you can see he likens himself to Dionysus the god of wine and of madness. Nietzsche therefore must never have experienced what well uh, the good sides of Christianity and uh, well he says for instance he calls Jesus an 
idiot. He makes a mockery of the Sermon on the Mount. Except we turn back and become as cows, we shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says Christianity is a metaphysics of the hangman. Then of course the God is dead quote, which I think is misunderstood. He also says... uh, War and courage have accomplished more great things than love of the neighbor. The Nazis took much of Nietzsche's writings and, uh, according to some, misused them in order to, uh, well, uh, propagandize their ideology. Which fell really neatly and disturbingly into the term of the overman. And that we will become a people beyond good and evil. And that such a development is completely necessary. And any opposition to it is futile. One of the adherents of Nietzsche's philosophy, well, of, well, the the people who are adhering to it, their critique of it being <coughs> labeled as uh, part of uh, the Nazi ideology, is that Nietzsche was very much against anti-Semitism, as they say. And uh, that does not mean that this general morality does not fall in line with totalitarian uh, regimes and of Nazism. The hatred of uh, the Jewish people is one of the, well, one of the more interesting parts of the Nazi ideology, but it is not what defines it. So, uh, in modern terms, you can make people aware of the ways of being, uh, believing the science, uh, collectivism, moral dogmatism, and a view of new well sets of morality and then the notion that we will be come beyond good and of evil that defines nazism clearly or not necessarily nazism but totalitarian tyranny and uh, in schools, what we are learned, uh, well, what we learn about it and why it happened is very uh, not precise at all. And these totalitarian uh, regimes can come in many shapes and forms, but we've seen them manifested most clearly when we have a generation of young people and specifically young men without any uh, hope for the future 
and if they're also labeled as bad and or wicked because of their ethnicity and because of who they are. I found an old newspaper clip from Germany right before the war where uh, it said, is it time to uh, sterilize German children? With 12-year-olds, girls selling themselves uh, for money and hyperinflation. And we are now knocking on that door again. And this is what Jordan Peterson was warning against. But that was from a different perspective. And I would like to liken that whole movement that he was uh, trying to go out against as the figure of the great mother in a way where safe spaces are put in place and everything is made safe and secure and the state governs everything and you're shackled in totality from what you can speak of and what you can think of and that is the great mother archetype which will turn into like i mentioned earlier a spider and eat her children and his attempt to crit this maybe he picked the wrong enemies so he went very hard out against Foucault and uh, the Marxist uh, interpretation of uh, reality and untruth Uh, really mean of me to speak like that of him but uh, maybe he went about it a bit hastily and in the wrong fashion what's so interesting about him is that he himself fell so hard down in his battle against it and in the modern world what do we have now well we have all these safe spaces and the state getting all the power to itself and to dictate 52 different genders and if you don't speak in their language and accept that we are all a bunch of screaming children who can't handle (laughs) the truth and I call it the great mother because his opponents well It's quite a matriarchal structure in itself with his uh, arguing with all the mainstream feminists on news channels and (laughs) stuff like that. But um, yes, he uh, started taking benzos and a lot of them. And what is that? That is sort of a shadowy version of death of an 
feeling. It's, I won't say that it's going back to the collective unconscious as some people can practice through psychedelics. That's not at all what it is, but it is a dulling of the mind. And he was defending Western enlightenment and the Christ figure from a very Jungian perspective going up against this, which it also has to do with, well, the forces you were against. Sort of a matriarchal, everything will be safe, everything will be good, you will not have to work everything, uh, you'll just get everything from the state. So uh, just sit around and follow the program and be compassionate and mindful towards everyone into a state of dysfunction and oblivion. And he saw, well, the hero structure reawakening the young man and the value of the Christ figure as very relevant. And he embraced it and took a position of defending the heart of our structure. So uh, he was defending that and I will also defend that our western civilization but in some sense like I also don't like the French existentialists and their viewpoint that truth is not a uh, real and they're leaning into uh, post-modernism and this is why I take issue with some of the Nietzschean statements as well. Because from how I see it, uh, thinking like that postmodernizes the mind. And uh, it is going to turn into just this chaotic thing, uh, Hegelian dialectic. And, uh, well, I hear people who... Uh, well, left and right. I don't really consider those uh, differences as valid anymore. But people who are, well, more sympathetic to the 52 genders Canada crowd, they will go on and on about the dangers of fascism. And then the crowd who wishes to separate themselves from the flock and to become their own ubermensch and to have life extension uh, technology and go into space like uh, the Elon Musk way of uh, conducting himself and of speaking. Both of these sides uh, lack balance and uh, they both seek to subjugate the other side. Quite interestingly, you can see some, some of the 
young men and women who either go into the feminist way or of thinking or the uh, men's rights activists, whatever you want to call them, they uh, mirror each other. They uh, don't like the other sex and uh, they are against them for the same reason as their opponent is. But this was sort of a detour, but I think it fits into the talk. And what I mentioned earlier up on the mountain was uh, well, some of the fake illnesses like ADHD and stuff where well maybe it's a bit harsh to call it a fake illness of course there are versions of it where something must be done but think about how crazy it is that we have perfected amphetamine one of the craziest drugs there is and prescribe them to masses of children in order for them to uh, not be the way they are. And this is very uh, almost brave new world in nature. And it involves schizophrenia or our understanding of it. Now both uh, geographically and historically schizophrenia may have emerged from a psychosis that was more florid, effective, shorter lived and with a better prognosis uh, in ancient societies. Some will make the claim that it occurred with a reflexive self-consciousness in Western society and that its development lie in the roots of Christianity. And uh, every theology presents a psychology. All right, so uh, I'm going to quote from the Bible here. I feel like that is, uh, well, relevant to uh, the territory that I'm now attempting to get into. And that's from uh, Acts 26, 24. Paul, you are beside yourself. Too much study has sent you mad. So, uh, the notion of schizophrenia and also other types of behaviors, that is the little uh, hole within the, the psyche where you can perhaps step in and then get visionary experiences. And uh, some modern scholars theorize that uh, many of the, well, 
religious experiences as written down in the Bible come from, well, hallucinogen-inducted psychosis. And it seems to some extent that, so when if people have visions of God, then that is coming from that place. It's coming from the dream state, which if you are afflicted heavily enough with so-called schizophrenia, then life and dream melts together so you're sort of lucid i found a modern paper which wrote well it goes into this heavily and as many other things today it blames or puts the blame on western society and Christianity for the development of schizophrenia itself. So, one of the things I mentioned earlier that is uh, pretty interesting is that uh, schizophrenia seems to be more severe in Western modernized societies as opposed to more primitive societies and uh, this must have something to do with the fact that in primitive societies and back in the day too those uh, visionary people because there are different forms of schizophrenia you have the well lunatic schizophrenia where someone believes that they are Jesus himself which in one way is not really that strange if you consider Jesus as an archetypical figure to be a symbol of the ego which Jung proclaimed and which is part of the reason why I think Christianity and the Christ archetype is so valuable today because it is something that can awaken inside of you inside your own conscious being whether you believe in it or not and it's like i mentioned far superior to being a, a warrior who defeats all the enemies and stuff like that it just doesn't fit with modern society but before, well, back in the day, uh, those, well, that's called proto-schizophrenia, not modern schizophrenia, where it's not that severe. That would be the role of uh, a shaman or of a spiritual and religious sage. And I found a modern paper that, in the spirit of most uh, of the other modern thinking, blames Christianity for the emergence of schizophrenia and puts it into a context of uh, colonization and how horrible we acted towards the 
third world and all of that. But to my mind, that makes it even more important to have a religious faith available, a ramification of understanding visionary insights and dreamlike states that is now chased as tourism in South America and other places and becoming a bigger and bigger part of our environment but some people have them quite naturally and you can induce those states by meditation and Jung's basic thought regarding this is that that is how visionary and godlike experiences are induced that's how it speaks to us and i can't talk of this in a scientific manner but i have a, a viewpoint that mimics that to some extent that our well religious and holy experiences come from the unconscious from the garden of eden before we stood and then the great Uoboic state. Well, there's this drive to fight it and to stay in the rationale, to stay in the ego. So this has many aspects with it that follow from thinking about this in, well, from different points of view. So I don't want this to be misunderstood as uh, we should embrace insanity and uh, stuff. Well, just ignore it and uh, treat it as uh, religion. But with the whole brave new world Suma-induced states of being, because uh, everyone, well, many people are struggling with anxiety and depression today. That could also further be used as a lid to that creative spark within us, the dreamlike state of which I realize some people are there too much, like described with Nietzsche earlier. But it would be quite sad if we rationalize society all the way into the robotic dictates of the Sam Harris and AI thinking that there is no such thing as free will. That I don't believe that notion and also that we will step beyond good and evil. That is a very anti-Christian or anti-spiritual Thing to say in itself because it's the two primordial forces of the universe which also plays in the human mind so it would be quite sad to see that happen and all great works of 
art are inspired by God, as some say, and most of the greatest works of art are also induced in a state of psychosis or of spiritual creativity. And we should strive, I think, we should strive to have a positive view of these things, a re well, a self-building view and a personal relationship with a God that cares about you is one thing. Another thing to see our cultural emblem of Jesus as a hero figure and to try to incorporate that. Anyone can, uh, well, not anyone, it's hard to be a warrior, but I feel like it's more psychologically advanced to see the figure of Jesus as a hero symbol, as something we should try to meme into existence, not necessarily believe 100%. I mean, that's great too. And I do. But we all have our paths, I suppose. I just find all of this interconnected in several ways. Earlier, I got Nietzsche's, well, death wrong. He died in 1900, and then after that I said 818 years since his death, as opposed to 121, so that was a, well, mistake. And uh, perhaps I should speak a bit more on the way Carl Jung updated Christianity. And also a quick commentary on, well, Christianity versus, uh, well, not versus, the different ways of conducting spirituality before I get into Carl Jung's uh, updating of Christianity. Um, when I delved into uh, the schizo, well, theories of schizophrenia and so-called proto-schizophrenia, of which uh, they theorize may be the same as schizophrenia, but less dysfunctional. I saw many of the same viewpoints were like uh, Christianity, that was uh, the source of all the evils in the world. And then, uh, well, elevation of the primitive and of the pagan traditions, because they were in touch with several gods and they didn't have one god and their traditions they were working and they were so good and then uh, the subjugation of the west is what led to the defiling of the human mind and therefore it must be related to having a personal god and so in one sense it was explained as having faith in god led you to become, well, insane. This is in some cases correct, and in some cases completely wrong. You have that viewpoint. 
But then there's also the other viewpoint where the pagan uh, traditions, they were, well, they engaged in human uh, sacrifice. And for instance, a local example here from Norway, they would just uh, take unwanted children and leave them in the forest if they didn't want them. And it was only after Christianity was introduced that this was effectively banned. And then another, well, a good friend of mine, his father grew up uh, with, uh, well, his parents were missionaries in an African country in the 60s or 70s, perhaps. But when he was a kid, they had to put a bunch of rocks on the graves of dead people so that the locals wouldn't come and eat them. So, you see, there are two sides to this. And going into just one or the other represents, well, the mentioned imbalance from before. Now, I've been uh, giving Jung a pretty good rap so far for several reasons. But uh, he was uh, very much, uh, well, free thinker and uh, going into many other, well, ways of being and of thinking. So, <clears throat> according to himself, Jung was uh, visited by a spirit guide who he named Philemon, a pagan who brought with him an Egyptio-Hellenistic atmosphere with a Gnostic coloration. Although he may have suggested that the spirit guide was a figment of his imagination, in truth, as far as he was concerned, it was a real being. An old man with the horns of a bull. I was walking up and down the garden with him, and to me, he was what the Indians call a guru. He also became acquainted with another spirit guide named Ka. Ka's expression had something demonic about it, one might almost say. Uh, this is a highly pertinent observation, as Jung, like Freud, was fascinated by the Faustian legend about the doctor who sold his soul to the devil in order to obtain secret knowledge. Jung had by now obtained a whole series of messages from his spirit guides, guides which were to determine the nature of his beliefs. The Jungian expert Dr. Anthony Storr concluded, Jung thought of these spirit guides as existing in an imperishable world and manifesting themselves from time to time through the psyche of an individual. And so from early on he had a, a bad view of Christianity being raised by a pastor, but at the same time, even though he delved in many things that would seem quite blasphemous to the well, straight uh, A4 paper Christian, uh, well, viewpoint. His key to understanding this did at the same time update Christianity in a manner that I find, uh, well, good and progressive. 
but I'm not too sure about the process of becoming whole, known as individuation, is necessarily the way to go. But in cases of patients who had lost their faith, individuation led them to create their own myths as expressed through dreams and fantasies, and it enabled them to gain wholeness. One could pretty swiftly conclude that perhaps Jung himself was into some of the illegal psychedelic keys of understanding, but he did speak out heavily against that as being part of the forbidden knowledge that one should not engage in, perhaps, at all. So with, whether or not that is true, that he actually had that practice in life, or if he just said it, are two different things. But uh, according to Jung, uh, the psyche has three levels, the conscious, the personal unconscious, and the collective unconscious conscious. The personal unconscious is a relatively insignificant fraction of the total unconscious material. That which lies below the personal unconscious is known as the collective unconscious, which contains the collective beliefs and myths of the well, uh, people of the race of the group of people that the person belongs to. And the deepest levels of the collective unconscious are known as the universal unconscious, common to all human beings, even to man's primitive and animal, well, perhaps, ancestry. And that's where the symbol of the Uroboros comes in, and why I think it's important why it was important to spend some time on it while talking about it. So further on from that, his attitude towards Christianity was uh, ambivalent. Uh, in his work Psychology and Alchemy, he wrote, Christian civilization has proved hollow to a terrifying degree. The inner man has remained untouched. His soul is out of key with his external beliefs. Wholeness and not holiness is what matters. Christian civilization has failed owing to a lack of psychological culture. It is psychology which opens people's eyes to the real meaning of dogmas. Too few have experienced the divine image as the innermost possession of their souls. And his uh, ambivalence towards Christianity on a civilizational level is seen when on one hand he recommends his patients to return to the church to which they belong. And on the other hand he writes, uh, there is no deity nor submission or reconciliation to a deity. The place of the deity seems to be taken by the whole man. The whole man realizes his brotherhood with all living things, even with inorganic matter and the cosmos itself. Uh, 
The whole man must achieve three things. First, he must meet with his shadow and learn to live with the more terrifying aspect of himself. Secondly, he must meet with the archetypes of the collective unconscious, especially through dream work. Thirdly, if he is fortunate enough, he will in end find that pearl of great price, the archetype of wholeness and the self. And he also claimed to have identified three stages of religious evolution. The first stage was, was the archaic age of the shamans, uh, the proto-schizophrenia. This was followed by the ancient civilization of, civilization of prophets and priests. And then came the Christian heritage of mystics. At every stage of religious history, all human beings share in the inner divinity, the numinous. When Jung talks about God, he is really talking about the God within the self. He was once asked if he believed in God. He answered, I don't believe, I know. So, quite an agnostic view. So uh, Jung made an act of faith in the existence of the collective unconscious and archetypes and he interpreted Christianity in the light of his beliefs. As an example, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. For Jung this doctrine is replete with psychological meaning. The Father symbolizes the psyche in its original, undifferentiated wholeness. The Son represents the human psyche and the Holy Spirit, the state of self-critical submission to a higher reality. For this myth to be authentic, it must be found in other cultures, according to him. And Jung found similar Trinitarian ideas in Babylonian, Egyptian, and Greek mystical traditions. Uh, further from this, he believed in a quaternity, the fourth person being the principle of evil. Without the opposition of Satan, who is one of God's sons, the Trinity would have remained a unity. In Jungian terms, without the opposition of the shadow or the fourth per person, there would be, would be no psychic development and no actualization of the self. Uh, Jung came to believe that Mary became the fourth person following her assumption. She is the necessary feminine element, the opposition of the shadow. His idea of wholeness means that God approves of evil. And he also wrote, since I knew from experience that God was not offended by blasphemy, that on the contrary, he could encourage it because he wished to evoke not only man's bright and positive side, but also his darkness and ungodliness. God in his, in his omniscience arranged everything so that Adam and Eve would sin. God intended them to sin. So one view of uh, looking at this is that Jung blames God for the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say that he blames God for it but it is 
quite correct that it was set up in that way. That was part of the plan and part of our test. But what Jung did say is that the story of the Old Testament and with Yahweh, the God that we have there to, uh, well, to deal with and to relate to is very different from the God manifested through Jesus Christ. And that's because these stories are so old and belong in some sense to older traditions. I mean, you can find some of them with different names and older roots than what is available through only the Christian Bible. So, um, his, well, his view of religion is therefore quite uh, blasphemous if you are, for instance, uh, believing Catholic or Orthodox. Um, so the church teaches that Christ died in order to save us. Uh, for Jung, this is a misleading rationalization for an otherwise inexplicable act of cruelty. The angry Yahweh of the Old Testament is full of guilt and is in need of atonement. Jesus dies on cavalry to expiate the sins of God the Father. To conclude the way of quotes from three eminent psychiatrists, here is a Catholic psychiatrist, Dr. Rudolf Allers, who wrote, for Jung, God is not a transcendent reality of whom man may achieve some knowledge by natural reason, but rather an archetype, a basic tendency of human nature. The idea of God and of a future life are not seen as expressing reality, but as corresponding subjective need. And Dr. Gregory Silurg observed, that which Jung calls religion is not a religion at all. Even from an empirical point of view, it appears to be only a very incidental manifestation. And Dr. Dr. Anthony Sturr wrote, A good deal of Jungian psychology can be seen as Jung's attempt to find a substitute for the orthodox faith in which he was reared, but against which he stated to rebel at a very early so this is a theme that I keep seeing again and again uh, when it comes to the new, well, modern, uh, brave new world tech society uh, creeping in and faithlessness and nihilism and depression and anxiety. Some of the people that I have met along my path who are the most against belief in a god are young people who have been raised in the Catholic Church and from that have experienced what I would call uh, well tyrannical and nonsensical way of understanding human 
nature and faith in itself. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Catholic way is wrong uh, because of that, but that is quite interesting. Because, so what Jesus himself says, and which goes into some of the more positive views of Jung and his updating of Christianity, is, uh, well, the command to love thy neighbor and to love God and to live in unity with God. And through that framework, he did a great service. But we also must see this in the time that he was living and who his contemporaries were. So Nietzsche was one of the thinkers that fascinated him the most. And in his practice, he also employed a Nietzschean way of well, being harsh with his patients, that they need to wake up to the fact that the world is hard. It's not a nice place, really. And you need to fight through the struggle and grow up uh, quite the opposite of the, well, great mother welfare state uh, viewpoint. And so, despite of Jung's uh, new age, well, sort of uh, witchcraft tendencies uh, of, uh, well, manifesting uh, the collective unconscious through individuation, which in alchemical texts is described as, well, witchcraft I still think he did a good job uh, in providing at least the Christ archetype to young people and that is what I am observing now in the alt dark corners of the internet uh, well populated mostly by young men but now women are getting on board as well trying to uh, understand the psyche and the jesus figure which i believe is real and some sort of new way to it is needed the the old simple faith of going to church and just receiving the word and being blessed by that alone seems to not really work because we have so many people falling away from the church and from faith and what they're getting tied up into instead are well all kinds of other ways of thinking and believing which I've mentioned before much of it mimics uh, fallen angel doctrine and linear serpentine evolutions in our conscious understanding fall under the purview of materialist science. The reduction of human beings to use value or mechanical function has been the direction of Western civilization since the period of the Enlightenment which is quite Luciferian in 
nature. Now the techno AI accelerationist wave of the digital era seems on the surface to offer a new myth, but it, as an outgrow of outgrowth of enlightenment reductionism, is merely the continuation of the degradation of human beings into infinitely interchangeable machines. It is the completion of René Descartes' dualist science to exercise spirit, consciousness and privacy itself from matter and uplift matter alone without subjectivity as the final truth of existence. This belief is a deep delusion, but it is at the root of all modern wisdom, from AI to the dehumanizing notion that sex robots could replace actual people. The logic of mechanism is quite simple. It extinguishes the inner life and reduces human beings to machines. It is the psychological incarnation of the false prophet. The Gnostic and Luciferian forces the chaotic and Dionysian element of existence, which we see Nietzsche fell into before, going mad illuminates to some extent why some of his views were on display also keep in mind that he was awaiting the nazi overtaking of uh, his nation he could see it before it uh, well came about and uh, the age-old question posed by Gnostics, but also rational scientists as well, from where comes evil, uh, some would say has been given no answer by the Christian world. But I would say that answer uh, is pretty uh, self-explanatory. It is uh, the nature of free will. So, uh, well, the Catholic uh, mystic Valentin Tomberg was astute on some of these questions. He held that a final redemption awaited all burning in hell on the final day. Christ's mercy at the end of all matter, the final evolution of terrestrial earth is absolute. And he writes fondly of both Jung and Oegen and bases a schema of understanding Catholic symbol symbolism in the cards of the Tarot. Uh, the implication of the Tarot's value is that genuine knowledge of the internal symbolic order of human consciousness is not limited to Christianity alone. Rather, the spirit of Christianity is the development of an eternal myth. The pre-Christian Greek logos and platonic forms are integrated into Christianity. Aristotelian metaphysics is a basis for much Catholic theology. The Rig Vedas and the Upishadas, as well as the notion of the Buddhist Vata, are integrated into Christian symbolism. Christianity did not emerge from nothing. It was a synthesis of all ancient mystical 
systems. It developed out of the Old Testament and Jewish mysticism. Which is uh, one uh, witchy response to this. Um, I will quote a really cool rapper. His name is Decca, And uh, I see him as a Christian uh, mystic rapper. In order to provide a response to that viewpoint. That was uh, provided by, by this Catholic so-called uh, mystic. Uh, here he goes. This can turn any metal into gold. Well, yes. I... I have already found the secret to this powerful force. I would like to show you how this principle works on a human being. Take him down to the cellar. This sure is a spooky place. What's down there? Monkey paws, shrunken heads, esoteric boy scouts in aprons and a red fess, keeper of an Eden snake's knowledge or pharaoh's secrets that trace the lineage to high priests in Egypt, the Babel Tower builders, knowers and initiates solving quantum Rubik's cubes, decoding arithmetic. Something about this general vibe made my knee-jerk the alchemist pursuits led to gain-of-function research. Kill your morbid fascination with the strange and the sickly trees that sprang from the offspring of Cain. You'll know them by their fruits or lack thereof. Identify the weeds gaining ground and pull them up by the root like hair plugs. Bald-faced lice, power-driven golems in a cave hoarding pseudo-knowledge of the cosmic algorithm. With statecraft ties and all-seeing eagle eyes, be advised. Advised, careful who and what you deify. I heard your allegory shrouded the eternal, but peeled the layers back and found a nihilistic kernel. Ego-based mystery for mystery's sake, counter to the highest high, pulling fish from this lake. Take it slow, hold my head below the H2O, where lotuses and lilies grow in golden ratios. Far from the futurist transhuman new religion and char- charlatans passing off their hubris as wisdom. We belows, seeking gold deep below, thumbing through the secret scrolled, scrolls, watching crows and salamanders decompose. The sweetness of a rose should be your only goal, joyful tears that flood the dry earth to feed your lonely soul. Pay no mind to curiosities and sphinx riddles, grimoires coded language and magic sigils, and leave the hive-minded to their solemn oaths and secrecy beneath the polar opposites of lower frequencies. I believe in miracles but not magic bullets, and approach my soapbox pulpit with monastic focus. A tiny fraction of this whole galactic magnum opus, watching globalists scour the planet like a plaque of locusts. Is death from above, across the globe. Philosophic pirate, they turn to lead for death squads to lock and load. Hard to transmute the rage pressure breeds when they murder all our prophets and fill their pockets with gold. So, we are advised uh, through his uh, words there to uh, 
keep it more simple even though i am delving into all kinds of stuff here but that is that follows with the territory if one is trying to understand jung and uh, fortune uh which well so uh the the secret of the tarot and the principle of fortune which the well catholic so-called mystic Tomberg attributes to the fact of the ten, tenth arcanum of the Tarot, the secret that is fortune. You see this in New Age uh, ways of thinking in the United States as well, where you have the key and the secret, and if you think hard enough, the good things will come to you and manifest in reality for you. But, uh, yeah, so fortune is the key to understand the natural world. Um, it operates by chance, genetic, and evolutionary chaos, market failure, rewarding evil and demolishing good with amoral causality and splendor. The world is like a giant casino of faceless, depersonalized amorality because it is fallen, like Plato's view of the fallen world orthodox view and my view is like that as well although there is much beauty in the world which we can enjoy for the simple fact of it existing but the wheel of fortune crushes saints and exalts sinners the fallen world of materiality and by consequence the evolutionary and economic markets that are that organize the conditions of materiality are by no means pure. They ultimately answer to the serpent, the Ubobobos image, the serpent going around the earth of which we have uh, exalted and worshipped and then through later stages in pagan uh, mythology the man awakens and fights the serpent itself. As I mentioned earlier, success on earth is ultimately success of the serpent. This symbolically is why Christ was crushed and crucified. He did not conquer Rome's, Rome, the Romans buried him. In this world, he was destroyed. In the other world, the kingdom of heaven, he holds power. But one can say he was destroyed, but then at the same time, he spoke truth to that structure, which is why I think the Jungian modern interpretation of Christ as a hero figure is so valuable, because it'll scoop up uh, people, young men in particular, into perhaps reading and sort of imitating him from a stage or or transition from a point of being uh, very into, uh, well, witchcraft and other things to instead go into a more simple view of grace and forgiveness. But this other world still beckons and no matter how explanatory and powerful materialist reductionist science becomes, 
it remains a fact of existence that the human mind has experiences which are utterly incoherent with the well with what we conceive of the mind as simply an evolutionary tool the emergence of conscious beings who theorize the good remains sort of a mystery or perhaps not because if you have the good in you uh, the spirit of Christ one could call it and theorize it too even from a rational point of view if you go just a little bit uh, on the side of the woo-woo and let uh, Jung and his contemporaries uh, dance inside your mind uh, well the emergence of consciousness and biological life is itself a kind of synchronicity and the laws of the material universe which permits these words to be written is a synchronicity the fact of mathematics attests to a deep harmony between the human mind and the deepest superstructures of the world so no matter how rationalist one may be you will at the very least see some sort of order in the universe uh, the only thing that well the rational enterprise has pulled out of the mind for use is that and uh, the wisdom of the neo-darwinian synthesis is well we survive in order to survive. We have minds in order to survive. Yet survival alone is not the aim of the Christian ideal. Self-sacrifice and resurrections are the futures of Christ as a symbol, not Darwinian survival. And Christ fathered no children from an evolutionary rationalist deduction perspective he failed and he did not take it upon himself to go to battle with the evil empire or with the eternal snake he simply spoke the truth to it and allowed what was going to happen to happen because he knew he was going to happen and uh, Jung knew that he grew from Christian soil not secular or demystified soil and uh, Christianity has shaped Western culture it is at the center of the conscious subjective logos inspired individual of the west and at the same time he was living in a world of freud and nietzsche and other great uh, contemporary figures awaiting the arrival of wutan through well the nazi 
rain. I'm sure they could all see that coming. That's why Nietzsche was to some extent a prophet. And despite his falling down into madness and him turning on the what I would call the heart of uh, Western civilization, he was still a prophet in some way because he foresaw the future. Theodore Adorno, a critical theorist and critic of Western Enlightenment, understood that the categorizing impulse of abstracted rationality is the myth of the patriarchal father, God producing the word out of the void, couched in secular terminology. In a purely materialist and secular cosmology, there is no reason to believe in the coherence of the cosmos as it relates to the human pursuit of truth. An additional spark was needed to create the modern individual, according to this thinker. The link between subjective consciousness and the coherence of the cosmos, which we have named the divine. So the myth it's, is still alive and uh, it courses through the agency of the writers of several texts and ways of understanding. Uh, what will become of all of this in the future, nobody knows. Uh, well, Jung's final thoughts consisted in recognizing deep contradictions and paradoxes in the nature of existence and admitting that he ultimately was a stranger to his own amassed knowledge dying a confused seeker. Uh, well, it would be described as hubris to uh, suggest that my outcome in going into all of these matters would be any different. Uh, but as the hero's journey and the circle and symbol of the Ouroboros all indicates the cyclical nature of life, we have no right to complain. The beginning of wisdom is realizing that the end and the beginning are the same location, and yet the journey is still worth undertaking. So, one could say and wish, I myself would say and wish that it would be better and more fruitful <clears throat> if uh, we could all just uh, get along with a sort of spiritual existence in the harmony of God. And that road in modern society now is laced with little, uh, well, detours that leads to potholes. Some of them are so big that you could fall down and get stuck in it. And the traditional church, they are still alive. And it's very important that these institutions remain 
and that we have a way of conducting, uh, well, faith and uh, the expression of faith and proto uh, schizophrenia that uh, these and artists that they're allowed to express themselves. In uh, modern society, imagine if you went to a Hollywood uh, producer of music and you said, uh, I would like to make a great song uh, about Christ and uh, what he did for humanity and how he is perhaps a hero figure that we could try to incorporate into the deepest levels of our psyche. And you would get laughed at. But if you propose some sort of Luciferian theme, then they would get right on board. Yes, yeah, straight up, let's do that. So it is, uh, the times are changing and they are challenging. And the reins of morality for what you're allowed to express and the behaviors that you are supposedly allowed to engage in they get wider and wider. So it befalls us who sort of uh, feel like Christ perhaps is the answer. I think he is the answer and the truth of God, which is much simpler than all of these theories that I delved into now. Like the truth of the matter is actually not that complicated. But we need that to function in such a way that it scoops up those who think too much and think too high of themselves. That is a thing that I have wrestled with and I feel like I've finally, <laughs> despite going into all of this, like I'm some sort of a wise man who knows everything. I do not, of course, nobody does. Uh, but the simple truth of the beauty of love of other people and living in harmony with God and not being just simply a human person who thinks that they have the right to question God. That's not the purpose it does work in mysterious ways and using our human rationality to attribute either positive or negative aspects to god himself and his plan like for instance the eden story and why mankind fell and then rationalizing that into some sort of because then we're using our snake gifted knowledge in order to try to up one on god i suppose and that's not what we are called to do either but the church needs to be able to scoop up the minds that think like this and uh yeah you could say that is a progressive uh degradation of uh, blasphemous colors but I don't think it is at all and the uh, turning on the 
whatever, well, can't say prophets, but let's call them in a different sense of uh, uh, academic and scientific prophets like uh, Jordan Peterson and Jung and Nietzsche and others. The turning on them of which I've seen lately if you are sort of uh, in a dogmatic uh, religious position where you uh, then degrade their views uh, or, well, you react to their views and then sort of cast them out. And, of course, the real simple truth is the light and the love of God. But the whole, well, sort of luciferian rationalist uh, machinery propelling ai into existence that sort of lends itself you have to in a way speak like that in order to deduct it at all in order to understand it and to properly figure out its functions it it compels you to engage in those kind of thoughts that doesn't mean you have to believe in them completely. But if these roads are mystic and uh, a bit on the woo-woo side in nature, yet they lead people back to faith and preferably the belief in Christ himself as God's son of which will compel the individual to act in new ways that are more productive and harmonious in society. That is one thing. But also if it leads a young thinking mind to at the very least see that as a hero motif and structure of which they can incorporate and use in the world that is also a positive end gold goal so uh, very uh, interesting subject matters uh, with that I'm going to end the episode now perhaps abruptly and uh, I hope this was enjoyable and uh, that people uh, learn from it or get some thoughts and ideas uh, because I will continue thinking uh, about these things from this perspective. So I hope my listeners will uh, find value in it and perhaps stay tuned. If not, I'll just talk to myself and use my audio recordings for my later writings. And now at the very end, I will end down by the river again. My apologies for some uh, blurry audio and a lot of changes. I'm now out with Plato again in nature, listening to creation. And I thought that was f a fitting way to end all of this. I will, uh, well, leave a little bit on C.S. Lewis. Um, so, you can have faith. And especially in these times when you see how basically this new world order is uh, sort of shaping out. It looks very Luciferian. So you have a lot of Christians uh, thinking this is the end times. Uh, they may be right. I'm going to think they're not right. 
because that's the best moving forward. But it seems, I mean, the world now, the way things are going, it's lending more and more credit to the Christian world view, no matter how rationalistic you are or how much you hate that religion and you would like some other religion to be the truth. Uh, but also to Hinduism. I am very intrigued by Hinduism and in a sense you could say that Christianity is just one part of Hinduism, of the ancient wheel of time, which also is uh, ringing some bells right now. And then the great mother archetype of returning to nature and uh, the ayahuascan ceremony viewpoint, that also makes sense if you uh, go on one of those experiences and your soul is uh, <laughs> catapulted into the collective uh, unconscious. That seems like a real thing to me. Um, I mean, so we are uh, God's creation and the garden. But at the same time, I mean, humans, we are just, we are the tools of the plants. We carry seeds around for them, we tend to them, and then we uh, uh, fertilize them. We're supposed to live under the plants. That's, I mean, the entirety of the neural pathway of all the plant life in the world and all the mushrooms of the world too. It's sort of like a living uh, being. And so that's quite an interesting perspective to philosophize on as well. But I will lean a bit on C.S. Lewis before I conclude now. And that is as follows. We don't really know anything. I mean, we can have visionary experiences and we can use the rational mind and subconscious and collective unconscious to help us to uh, get through in this world world or lean into the good words the true christian church words that is based on forgiveness and positivity and uplifting the spirits along the way but we can also just believe that uh, all this is random that it has no purpose or you can uh, uh, worship uh, a bunch of deities and there's a lot we can do but in lieu of not actually knowing any of these things why would one pick the version that defeats your soul and that makes you insignificant that is one of my biggest questions I don't understand the drive to do that but it is very popular and it falls upon everyone, spiritual seekers, Christians, Gnostics, Hindus, Buddhas, Gurus and the like to uh, try to nudge them a bit out of that at the very least. With this I hope you have a blessed weekend and thank you for listening all the way until the end here. If anyone is still with me now, I salute you. <laughs> You're a real fighter. Bye-bye. <laughs>